Okay, we are finishing up the book of Joshua tonight, chapter 23 and 24 of Joshua. That should finish the book, and we'll go on to a new topic next week, probably uh, something about the crucifixion of Christ and some of the events that lead up to that, so that we'll be working on that on every hand as we get ready for that Good Friday and Easter weekend. I remember where we've been so far. Uh, they came out of Egypt. The Israelites came out of Egypt, led by Moses, come up to the promised land, say they can't do it. Two of the spies, Joshua, one of them, and Caleb, the other one, say, yes, we can. Let's do it. No, we can't. We want to go back to Egypt. So God got sick of it. And God gets sick of us sometimes when we don't do what we're supposed to do. And so he let that whole generation die. And the next generation is coming into the land under Joshua. Moses dies and Joshua leads them across the Jordan River into the promised land. And they begin to take the promised land. And as we watched for seven years, they took a swing south, swing north, and have... Uh, accomplished a lot of that and taken over 61 cities on one side of Jordan and then a whole bunch more on the other side. And so they have come into the land. Uh, he's been now splitting the land up and saying, here's your part, here's your part, here's your part, and now go take care of business. And so we come to chapter 23. Um, I'm going to read just a little and stop and think about what's happening. It came to pass after the Lord had given rest to Israel from their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and was stricken in age. And so I heard somebody say amen, right? You get to be old. It's going to happen to all of us. We're getting older, and as it does, there comes a time when we're pretty old. And Joshua wasn't like Moses, 120 doing push-ups and sit-ups. Uh, that was Moses, not Joshua. He's uh, worn out, coming to the end of his life. And uh, what's he thinking now? What he's about to do is pretty clear that he's thinking, uh, we want to finish life well. We want to finish well. All right, now he's done pretty good up till now. He's one of the really shining stars of the Bible, although he doesn't get much credit for some reason. But he's a shining star. He's a soldier, and he has come uh, and led these forces victorious one after the other. And uh, he's now coming to the end of his life. He says, I want to finish my life off the best way I can. And that's a thought that we ought to think about sometime. We should think about finishing our life off. What are you going to do to finish life? What are you going to do to finish the work of the Lord? And Joshua, I'm sure, is thinking, all right, I'm almost ready to die, and I want to finish this well. I want to be able to say, okay, I finished what I had to do. You remember Paul said, I finished my course, I run the race, time for me to go. Right? Paul said that. Of course, the ultimate finisher was 
Jesus, right. Jesus on the cross. And he dies there. He says what? It is finished. And he finished it all. Right? He was the ultimate finisher. He finished everything that needed to be done. He did it. And so all of you start with Adam and go on through the Bible, what are they doing? Well, they're going to live their lives and finish their life, but it's not over. There's more work to be done. All right? And they keep going on and on and on and on, building up to Messiah coming. And Jesus will take all that and finish it. And uh, it says in the Bible that Jesus steps up to the throne of God and says, what? I have finished the work you gave me to do. All right? That's a fantastic thing to be able to say. I want to say that. I want to be able to say someday, I finished. I got it all done. All right? That's a very important thing. And as you get older, you think more about that, see? What am I going to do to finish up? What have I got to do to accomplish so that when I'm done, I really finished it, didn't leave anything hanging? And that's an important thing. Joshua, I'm sure, is thinking that. Now, some people are never going to think that because they don't do anything for the Lord. Right? Don't do anything for the Lord. Don't do any work for the Lord. So you don't have to worry about finishing. You never started. Some people never started. All right? A lot of people I have seen start but quit. And I've seen that in ministry here for over 30 years, as Marilyn just reminded me. Uh, I've been here a long time, seeing people start and then quit. And one of the reasons that happens is because they say, well, why would I work at church? Well, why would I serve the Lord? Because it's a, I feel like it's a duty. I have a duty to do. All right? Duty is not a bad thing. Duty is a good thing. But if you do it just because it's a duty, you're not going to finish. And the people that have dropped out along the way have done it because... It's a duty. I got something I should do. I'm doing my duty. And then you don't really finish because duty is different. All right, here's he wants to finish completely. Um, how do you not do you do? Well, you do it for God. I do, I'm doing this for you, Lord, and that will make it go on and on and on. That's the only way you don't get burned out. Right? You don't get burned out when you're doing things for the Lord. You get burned out if you do it for duty's sake. But you won't get burned out if you say, here I am, I'm, I'm doing this for you. You just keep going like that. And that's what Joshua's been doing. He's been doing it for the Lord. And now he says, okay, Lord, I want to finish. And uh, I'm getting pretty old. So how do I finish right? How do I be able to say, when they bury me in the ground, I finished what I had to do? Uh, here's what he's going to do, verse 2. Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said unto them, I'm old and stricken in age. <laughs> he sends a message out from his home across all of Israel. Here's the message. Joshua says, uh, everybody, here's my attention, I want all your attention I'm getting old. Verse 3. You have seen all the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. So he says, let's all get together. I want to have a meeting, uh, a talk, really, with you. And I want to 
say something that when I'm gone you can keep, have for yourself. So that uh, my final words to you will be here. I'm going to call this meeting. And he's going to call a meeting in chapter 23. They all come, all of Israel comes. Now it doesn't mean 100% everybody came, but most of them would be there. Because they got a lot of respect for old Joshua. All right. So they all gather in and he's going to talk. Verse 3 as I read, and you should have seen all the Lord your God has done unto you all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God it is he that has fought for you. In other words here's a great way to end. All right. All right. We came into the land and I led you. I was in charge. I got it done. now. He says, if you're in this land now, God did it, not me. And that's a wonderful thing about Joshua. At the end, he says, it's not me, it's God that did it. All right, so you're going to give God credit, he says. And so he's going to say to them, look, we've conquered all these nations around, taken all this property, and we've divided it up. And he said, I want you to know, the Lord your God, he fought for you. It was God that fought for you. And so the older I get myself, the more I see that God does the whole thing. You're just here, I'm just here trying to keep up. That's how I look at life from the pulpit. I'm trying to keep up with God. I've got all I can do to keep up. Because <laughs> he's got things going all the time. And sometimes when I come through the door, I think to myself, Oh, this is not going to be a good day. And it turns out to be the best day yet. Because God did it. Not me. He did it. He brought somebody here that needed to be here. He made visitors come. Sundays, a whole bunch of people here. And I never have any idea. And that's the thing people say. Who do you think about when you do a sermon? I think about anybody but me getting through it. All right. I don't say this one's for so and so. You can't do that. You got any brains at all? You know it doesn't work that way. You got all you can do just to get the text, figure it out, and explain it the best you can. And uh, uh, God takes care of the service. He's in charge of the service. When we say, when we pray, come and be in our service, be our honored guest, he's doing that. He's coming and he's making things work. And so Joshua knows that by now. He knows we wouldn't have had any of this if it wasn't for God. God brought us across the river, right? They stepped into the river and it dried up for miles and miles. Why? Because God dried that up. They marched around Jericho and it fell. Why? Because God made it fall. And he said they began to go on more t places and conquer and conquer. And he said to the sun and the moon, stand still. Who did that? God did it. In the same way when we're doing God's work, you understand uh, we, we pray. Jesus said, here's what you pray when you learn how to pray correctly. Thy kingdom come. Right? Thy kingdom come. We want the kingdom of God to grow here on earth. How do we do it? God says, you just get your work done and I'll show you how it goes. And this is what Joshua is saying. God fought for you. God came ahead of you. So uh, uh, 
I want you to understand how that works. This is as he's finishing his life. Last thing he's going to tell him, get it in your head. God did it. God can do it. All right? You don't need me because I'm getting too old. God did it. All right? Now, verse 4. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations which I have cut up even to the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them before you, drive them out of your sight. You shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised you. Therefore, be ye very courageous to keep and do all as written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside there to the right or to the left. All right, so he went back to chapter 1. Chapter 1 in Joshua, God speaks to Joshua in that first chapter, and he said, here's what's going to happen, Joshua. Every place your foot touches, you're going to take. You're going to win every battle. You walk through that whole land, and anywhere your foot touches, I'll give it to you. So what? Get going. Come on. Start walking. Cover that land. So you've got work to do. All right? Second promise, God said, if you go to work and do the work, I'll be with you. All right? Then God said to him in chapter 1, remember, Joshua, don't go to the right and don't go to the left. Go straight ahead. All right? Don't get off track. Pay attention to God's word. He told Joshua, I want you to read the Bible every day. Good advice for every human being that there is. Read the Bible every day. All right? And then the last thing he told Joshua, remember what it was? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we had it in there, don't complain. Don't complain. Don't be afraid. Get it right. And so that's how the book of Joshua started. Now he's almost ready to die. And he says, oh, by the way, get to work. <laughs> Don't go to the right or left. Pay attention to God's word. And whatever you do, don't be afraid. Verse 6, be therefore courageous. As it don't be afraid to keep and do all that is written in the book. Read the book. The law of Moses, you turn aside, therefore, not to the right hand or to the left. Just exactly what he was told. How do you know it works? Because he did it. That's what he did. And now he's recommending to them, just before he dies, hey, this worked for me. So why don't you do this, too? Keep this in your head. All right, now here's his concern, verse 7. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. So he says, uh, we're going to talk a lot about these gods that the Canaanites worship. You're going to have to stay clear of them. And so I'm sending you out, and I'm sending you out without me. I'm not going. You're going. You're going to do it. And I think good leaders, good leaders will tell people, uh, you can do it without me. All right? Poor leaders create dependence. Particularly in this day and age, because uh, counseling 
be it a, a bag of snakes sometimes. Uh, counseling, if we follow the world method of counseling, is to create a continual dependence on the counselor. All right. And so uh, we are not to create dependence on our leaders. Say, well, I depend on Well, you can depend on it, but someday you got to do without me, okay? And they're going to stand up and do it without me. Day's coming, all right, when you got to do it without me. And so that's what Joshua says. He says, you can go any place your foot touches, the promise is for you too. You go ahead and you go and fight the rest of them that you didn't finish yet. I'm not going to be there, but you don't need me. Because you're dependent not on me, on God. You're dependent on God. And that's what you need, all right? So it's the same rules as in chapter 1 he's recommending to them. And what he's worried about is these other people that hung on. All right, let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 9. For Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man has been able to stand before you until this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he has promised you. So he says, I'm going to tell you how good it can be. One of you put a thousand to flight. All right? And that's kind of a cool thought. Uh, <laughs> how do you like that for odds? One in a thousand, one against a thousand. He said, they can do that. God can do that. And we see, of course, examples in the Bible where that happened, right? Samson, right? He killed, what, 3,000, was it? He had two piles of bodies. He made two piles. They'd come in, and he'd smash them and kill them, throw them in a pile. Next guy come, throw them in this pile. And by the time he was done, he had two big piles of dead bodies all by himself. And others, Jonathan goes up takes the Philistine garrison by himself with his armor bearer behind him. And there's a few others in the Bible. So he says, one of you will be able to chase us. Why? Because God's doing the fighting. He's going to make you successful. So keep in mind who is doing it. Now, verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. There's something Right out of the treasure chest. I want you to love your God. That's a good thing. If you're going to say something before you're dead. Get it in people's minds. That's a good thing to say. I want you to love God. Well, we kind of got the idea, and this world promotes it, that love is just a spontaneous thing. It just happens. All of a sudden, I love somebody. No. I don't think that's the way it's meant to be. And, uh, and I think it's quite a different idea. The idea that the world promotes is that love is a feeling inside of you. It'll spark up all of a sudden. There you go. And then when the spark goes out, just find somebody else. Huh? And that's the general way that the world works. It is not the way. The Bible instructs us how to think about that. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. 
verse number two, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What does it mean to set your affection? It means I'm going to make a choice to have affection for, to love something. I'm going to make it my choice. Does that mean it's all spontaneous, flaming up? Ah, no, that's not what it means. It means I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to love things that are important on things that are above. And uh, even probably a more famous one over in 1 John. 1 John, just before Revelations. 1 John chapter 2. There's another choice. Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, uh, Joshua, I want you to love your God. And you're going to have to make a decision to do that. You're going to decide in my mind, I'm going to love God. And uh, I'm going to choose to do that. And so love is connected to the will so I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to love God. I'm going to set my mind that I'm going to do that. And I'm going to work on that. Same way with any relationship. We make a choice and decide and then just keep doing it. All right? And don't follow the pattern that the world does. Love is a feeling. Feeling burns out. Off we go to the next person. No. no. And that's it people say all the time in this world, but he says, I want you to take good heed to yourselves, all right, or that is, think about this. Pay attention to this. I want you to learn to love God, and you're going to make a choice to do that, and that's a good thing. Now, verse 12. If you do in any wise, go back, cleave to the remnant of these nations, even them that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go into them they unto you. All right. So, these people that are left behind, these people that still exist, Canaanites, Hittites, Hevites, and all the rest of the ites that are living around the land. You went from city to city and you took them, but there's a group of them here and a patch of them up in that mountain and some of them down in this valley, and they're all around the place. If you will go fight them, I'll help you get rid of them. If you leave them behind, you leave them behind, all right, then here's what you got to do. And I want you to do no business with these people. No marriage with these people. And no, uh, he says, going in and out. Uh, no close relationships with these people. This is my warning. As I'm leaving you, I'm trying to give you something that's going to help you. And here it is. Don't marry those people. How many times have you seen uh, when people get married and one believes and another one doesn't? Where do we go? We always go away. We don't go toward. Almost never do you see that relationship get led towards God. It almost always leads away from God. All right. And so people need companionship. And that's a true fact. 
Nobody has an argument with that. Uh, the Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There are friends. Jesus needed friends. He said so himself. He said, I'm going to pray. I really need you to come pray with me. Of course, they fell asleep. They failed him in that request. Uh, but um, that's a good thing. But he says, uh, <coughs> that's okay. <laughs> uh, he says, you make a bad relationship, it's going to uh, put you down, it's going to drag you down. You can't mix good and the bad. So I don't want you to marry these people. I don't want you to form close relationships, no business dealings. Do not get involved with these people who are left here. Because he knows that they're always going to lead to the wrong side. And so he makes it clear, don't do it. This is important for you. Don't do it. Verse 13. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. They shall be snares and traps to you, scourges in your sight, thorns in your eyes. Wow. Till you perish from out the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. If you're going to do business with them, if you're going to marry them, if you're going to get close to them, he said it's going to be painful. And God, it will reverse what he said. He's going to reverse what he said, and uh, they're going to, you're going to get tossed out. You're going to get tossed out on your ear. And so we have two things here. This kind of a weakness of Christians. We got divine promises. We like them, huh? Divine promises, and then we got uh, divine, not a promise. We got, we got a divine threat. Divine threat. You can find books all over about the promises of God. Buy a whole book of God's promises. I can read all the promises they want. You don't find any books. These are God's threats. You don't find any books like that. Nobody's publishing those. They're not going to sell. All right? Because God says some things. If I'm warning, Joshua says, here's what's going to happen. Those people out there that you left remaining, if you form relationships with them, particularly if you get married to them, he says, uh, you're going to turn away from God. And so the threat is that they'll get tossed out of this property. We just fought for seven years and won all this property. And he says, it's the best ground anywhere. It's the promised land. It's flowing with milk and honey. And God has given it to you. But if you're going to turn on God, then you're in trouble. And so God is a very clear threat. He said, and number one, the first thing he said was, I will not drive those people out. And that's what happened. As we go on, we'll see. Verse 14, behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. That means he's falling apart. Everything falls apart, right? Your house is falling apart. Your car is falling apart. You're falling apart. Everything falls apart, and that's kind of the way it goes. My mother always said, I am going the way of all flesh. <laughs> said that all the time. Or in other words, I'm falling apart. I'm getting old. I'm going to die. 
All right. I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts, in your souls, not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass. Not one thing failed. So, you got this God who never failed you, who drove out all kinds of people before you. He said, you know that's true. Therefore, 15, it should come to pass that as all the good things come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things till he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone, served other gods, bowed yourself to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. You shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So Josh says, I'm going to die. Here's my information. Get going. Keep going. Do God's work. Don't go to the right or left. All right. Don't be afraid. God will help you. He'll be with you if you keep going. If you turn away from God, don't expect God to bless you. Don't expect God to help you. If you're going to turn away from God, then you're going to have a threat from God. He's going to throw you off that property. You're going to get tossed out on your ear if you don't pay attention to what I say. So, he's told the whole nation, gathered them in, gave them this warning, I want you to hear me before I die. And I think God said, hey Josh, that's a good idea. Let's do it again. This time I'll talk. So we come to chapter 24. He's going to do it again. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, their officers, and they presented themselves before God. See, it's different. In chapter 23, Joshua says, oh, come on, I want to talk to you. I'm old. I'm going to die. I've got to say a few things. He come. Joshua talks. Now, God says, Get them in here again. This time we're going to Shechem. We want to go to Shechem to do this. Well, what's Shechem? What's special about Shechem? Anybody remember? <laughs> Probably not. You'd have to go back like eight months ago to remember this. Genesis chapter 12. We did a series on, who was it? Abraham? Yeah, that's the guy. Sunday morning series was on Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, and take a little look at verse number 6. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem. Hey, there's that word. And to the plain of Morah, the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared unto him. So, Abram leaves his home, comes over, and comes into the promised land. He stops at a place called Shechem. And God said, I'll tell you what, Abram, I'm going to give you this whole land. There's Canaanites everywhere all around the place. You just walk up and down, I'll give you the whole property for your family to inherit. It's a promise I'm making to you. So he made it in Shechem, and in Shechem he built an altar, and he worshipped God. We always said, Abraham, as soon as God talked to him, he built an altar. Worship God. Give thanks to God. So in the very spot where he first came into the promised land, Shechem, 
God now says, I want everybody back to Shechem. Why do you think that is? Well, it's pretty clear, right? He says, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember what happened in Shechem. Why, there's probably still an altar there, see? Probably still a pile of stones built in the shape of an altar in Shechem. And they come and say, why are we here? God said he wanted to get here to talk to you. Well, well, where'd that come from? Abraham built that. That's where God promised we could have the land. 400 years ago. So let's go back to Shechem. We've got to start remembering and thinking about things right. So God starts this new meeting in Shechem. Now they've come specifically to present themselves before God. And Joshua said to, unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So I said, just like God said right in the beginning, I'm going to talk to you, Joshua. You're going to talk to them. Still that way. He's an old, old man, but he's still that way. He says, here's what God said for me to tell you. Now, the last time we met and talked, I was giving you thoughts about finishing my life and what I thought you ought to know. Now this is what God said. Here we go. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the <coughs> father of Abraham, father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So we're going, he's going to make a list here of these people that he wants you to remember. And we're going to start with Terah and his son was Abraham, okay? And he said, Terah was where we all started. We go back to Terah. And he says, Terah, father of Abraham, father of N- and they served other gods. So Terah worshipped idols. We know a little bit about the idols that he worshipped. They liked little household idols. And we'll read later in in the account of Genesis how uh, somebody stole the idols. And Laban got mad. He took my idols. How am I supposed to operate without my idols? And Isaac's wife, Rebecca, stole the idol. They kept them small and handy behind the door. So where's your God? He's right behind the door. Anytime I need him, he's right there. He's kind of out of the way now because I got him behind the door. That was an attitude that these idol worshippers had toward their God. He's just handy there if I need him. I don't really need him. Most of the time he's in the way. So we keep him behind a door. So that's kind of a weird attitude. Well, it is an attitude. And here's the fact of the matter is. He's saying to you Israelites, that's where you came from. That's where you started. And every one of us here... In the same position. We at some point in our life were in full rebellion against God. And I don't have to think very hard at all to remember when I was in full rebellion against God. That's where we come from, folks. That's where we come from. We come from being in full rebellion against God. We want nothing to do with God. Do what we can to do it our own way. And he said, now you Israelites, your great, 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 great grandfather used to worship the idol behind the door. Just so you know that. 
Let's go on. Verse 3, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, led (coughs) throughout all the land of Canaan, multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. And I gave to Isaac Jacob and Esau. I gave to Esau Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And he says, so we go down the list. Next guy was Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob. All right, Jacob had... Uh, a brother Esau. He mentions Esau here because what? I have the Esau. Esau's attitude was, I don't care about God. <laughs> you want my my uh, birthright? Give me a bowl of stew and you can have it. I don't care about God. He says, you worry about that. I don't need God. I can do it all myself. So Esau cut himself off with the attitude that I don't need God. And he's put in this list for that reason. <clears throat> he got shoved off to a place called Mount Seir. That's where the Edomites would come from. And there'll be a thorn later, as we'll see. And let's go on down the list a little further. Verse 5, I sent Moses also and Aaron and plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them afterwards I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came to the sea. Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. He cried unto the Lord. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, covered them, and your eyes have seen what I had done in Egypt, how you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And so 400 years, they end up as slaves in Egypt. Along comes Moses and his brother Aaron. Moses and Aaron going to lead you out. Now what is particularly unusual about leading them out of Egypt? There's ten plagues. And so God says, all right, uh, Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, who's God? And I got to do what he says. It's exactly what he said. And his attitude was more snotty than I just tried to represent. (laughs) Who's God? Get out of here. And so Egyptian gods, there were 10 of them. They worshiped bugs. So God made bugs crawl all over everybody. Covered with lice. They worshiped frogs in the river. So God made all the frogs come out of the river and die all over the land. They worshiped cows. So God killed all the cows in Egypt. They worshiped the sun. So God made it dark in their houses. They couldn't even see, it says, their hand in front of their face in the middle of the day. They worshiped the Nile River. And God turned it into blood. Every idol of the Egyptian thing, and you can go back and look at Egyptian, uh, what we call the treasures of Egypt. It ain't treasures of Egypt. What it is is the idols that they worship. It's on everything. They're on everything. They got the bull with the sun over his head, right? And that's one of their great idols. And God wiped out the cows, and he wiped out the sun, and he wiped everything out. And after he got rid of all the Egyptian idols smashed them 
They came out of Egypt under Moses and Aaron. Okay? Now, verse 8. I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. I destroyed them before you. And Balak, the son of Peor, the king of Moab, rose and warred against Israel, sent and called Balaam, the son of Peor, to curse you. But I would not hearken to Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. Now, Moab, these people, all right, group of those people from Esau, and they're up there, and they say, we're going to get rid of these, these Israelites passing by, and we got a prophet, he's going to curse them. They paid Balaam, who will pay him money, curse that bunch of people. He went up there, and God said, don't you dare, don't you dare. So he went home, I can't curse them. Finally, he got on his donkey, and said, I'm going to go curse them and get that money. And then the donkey stopped because the angel's going to kill him there. Donkey stopped, and Balaam kicks the donkey, go! And the donkey says, I'm not going there. <laughs> and he talked back to the donkey. See, you can talk to an animal, all right, but when he talks to you and you talk back, something wrong with you. <laughs> right? So he talked to him. Donkey says, I can't go there. You're going to die if I go there. I'm not going there. And Balaam uh, didn't curse Israel, right? And so they got delivered. Verse 11. He went over Jordan, came to Jericho, and men of Jericho fought against you. Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, Hevites, Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. Now what does that mean? Well, what it appears to mean, and it appears back in uh, the book of, of uh, Deuteronomy, and it says, I will send hornets in front of you. Now, did that really mean hornets? People wonder. I'm not sure that it did. I think what it is is like it happens when you see a hornet. All right? Now, when I see yellow jacks come out of the ground, I'm leaving. I am not staying. I'm not going to say, all right, you guys, let's see what you got, because they got it. Right? They got it. We're not going to argue with them guys. So, uh, when you see yellow jacket, when I see him, whoosh, we're gone. And I think that's the point here is that God put so much fear in these people. I mean, they were, some of them were, they were 10 feet tall almost, huge, giants. But they were scared of the Israelites. God created that by what? Dropping the walls of Jericho, stopping the sun in the valley of Agilon. All right, bringing hailstones that killed more of uh, the, the retreating army than they could kill. All right, God did all those things, and so he created like, a, like the fear that comes from a hornet. Get me out of here. I can't win this. And run. Well, that's what he created. I sent the hornets out. Or that is, I made those people afraid of you. 13. I have given you a land which you did not labor for, cities which you built not. You dwell in them of the vineyards and olive years which he planted, not do you eat. And it was amazing, really. They go in and they run out people out and there's a whole city built. There you go. There's your housing. Well, what's out there? Well, there's vineyards out there. You can eat that. 
There's olive trees over there. That's all yours. All planted and ready for you. You got houses. You got everything. Just move in. What a deal God did when he did that. Verse 14. Therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of Egypt of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. So once they get into Canaan right, they get to Canaan uh, in the promised land and that's all full of idols too. right? That's full of two main idols, Baal and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth uh, represented by the sun and the moon. So here's the point God's making. God's telling this story to the children of Israel. I want you to come here. Listen, I'm going to explain to you. You came from idol worship, people who worshiped a little idol behind the door. All right? You were slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and they were dominated by the Egyptian idolatry that is still symbolized throughout the world today. And then you went to Canaan, and there was all sorts of idols there, Baal and Ashtaroth, the male and female uh, gods that they worshipped there. He said, you've been surrounded by idols, but I took you through. I took you through the Red Sea. I took you through the wilderness. I took you across the Jordan River. I tumbled over the walls of Jericho. I led you through the promised land and now you got homes all built, gardens all planted, everything you need is there. I provided it for you. Alright, so <coughs> verse 14 again. Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt Serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil you to serve the Lord, choose you today whom you will serve. There is the ultimate comment on the human relationship. People will always worship something. We were made to be worshiping people. God created us with an emptiness in our heart. And we're going to seek to fill it. All right? It's a, the uh, mathematician there, uh, he said, the famous one, what's his name? Yeah. What is it? All right. Pascal was a famous mathematician. And he believed in God. And he said, in every human heart, there's a vacuum. There's a hole. It's a vacuum. He said, and it's a God-shaped vacuum. So that every human heart has an empty spot that only God can fill. Only God can fill that human spot in your heart, right? That place that's in there. God created us to be that way. And if we're going to turn against God, there's going to be something else. Whether it's an idol behind the door, we make God a convenience, all right? Or it's a we worship everything. Can you imagine worshiping a bug? I just want to squish it. I don't want them around. You can imagine worshiping bugs? What's wrong with these people, you say? They worship the bugs. Go through all of Egyptian culture. Go through anything. You'll find scarabs 
all over everything. What well, does it look close? It's a bug. They're worshiping bugs. You say, well, why? Who would worship a bug? Somebody who says, like Pharaoh, no, I'm not letting God tell me what to do. That's the ultimate arrogance. I said, don't, God, don't be telling me what to do. All right. And now we come down to these idols down here, and Joshua says in his first meeting, you cannot deal with this. They're going to destroy you. If you take God off the seat, the throne of your heart, and get rid of him, you're going to find out what's going to happen. Right? And it's not going to be good. So you got to make a choice. And this is excellent, excellent stuff. Make a choice. That is the freedom that God gave to the human race. You have the right to make a choice for yourself. You can choose. And it's sometimes with a sadness in my heart that I see people say, "Eh, I had enough of this God stuff. I don't want to do that. They wander away. It's a sadness comes in your heart. And, and here's what Joshua says. Uh, if it's verse 15, seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day which you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served, the convenient ones behind the door, or the gods of the Amorites, that's Baal and Ashtaroth, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I grew up in a house, and that plaque was on the wall the entire time I grew up. And I believe there's one still there from my mother and father. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right? I love it. I want to be able to say, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we made a choice. We made a decision that we're going to serve the Lord. He said, you can choose what you want. You get to choose, and every human gets that choice. And Joshua wisely says, you go ahead. If you want to serve the ones that put you in slavery for 400 years, you can do that. Or you can serve these here, that if you marry them, you're going to be destroyed from the very property we just won. You can choose that. As for me, it's no question I'm going to serve the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose this day to serve the Lord. So we got a, a choice, a choice among the various different idol worshipers. We have a choice. You can choose. <clears throat> 16, the people answered and said, God forbid we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he that brought us up, our fathers, out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight, preserved us in all the way wherewith we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites that dwell in the land. Therefore we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So they answer back. We're with you, Joshua. We're on your side. We agree with you. We know what God's done. We will serve the Lord. Here's an answer for you. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. (laughs) He got their minds just said, what did you just say? We just said we will serve the Lord. He says you can't. That's what he said. 
You cannot serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Wow, Joshua, do you really mean that? Yeah, here's what he says. Verse 20, if you forsake the Lord, serve strange gods, he will turn, do you hurt, consume you after he has done you good. You turn your back on God and say, oh, I'm still going to serve the Lord. Nope, don't work that way. God won't have people serving him who don't really believe in him, who don't trust in him, who doubt him. He's not going to have that. All right. So he says, if you don't do it this way, 21. The people said to Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. All right. So, when you witness something, you say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So what's the truth? We promised to serve God. We made it with all our heart. We promised to serve God. He says, you're a witness now. I can call you on a stand and say, what did you promise today? And I'm going to have to have you stand up and say, we promised to serve the Lord. Are you okay with being a witness? We are, yeah. 23, therefore put away said he, the strange gods which are among you incline your heart unto the Lord your God of Israel. They already started. They already started. They just got there. They'd already started. People said to Joshua, Lord our God, we will serve. We will, his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. Set up them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. He said, right here where God promised Abraham, we're going to make a rule, a law, and that's going to be you promise to serve God, and you have to bear witness against yourself. By the way, you understand that's what we all will do, right? Every one of us. You're going to stand up in front of God someday, and you're going to have to give witness against yourself. He's going to say, what would you do? And I said, well, this is what I did. And don't think you can tell him a story. He's going to know what you did. And <sighs> chilled up and down my spine. 26. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, took a great stone, set it up under an oak. It was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So he rolled this great big up stone up under a big oak tree. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. So be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. And Joshua let the people depart, every man to inherit it. So, before you go, there's a big old rock. Roll it up by that tree. So there's a big old boulder sitting by that tree. He said, that rock heard your promise. That rock was here when you promised to serve God. And that rock heard. And every time you go by, you remember that rock you promised in front of that rock that you're going to serve God. Came to pass, 29, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. So he came out of Egypt at 40 years old. 40 years later, 
ready to possess the promised land. Seven years of battle. Now it's been 16 years more. And he comes up to the end of his life, dies at 110. They buried him in the border of the inheritance in Timnasareth, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Galish. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, days of the elders that overlived Joshua, which had known the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Right, so <coughs> Israel served the Lord to his death, and there were leaders among all the tribes who were, worked and served under Joshua, and they served, as long as they were there, they served the Lord. You think, boy, that's a good thing. I guess they got it right. Judges. Judges chapter 1. Now, <clears throat> remember what he said. As long as you go fight, you'll win. So here's a tribe called Judah. Tribe of Judah. Chapter 1 of Judges, verse 8 and 9. And we think this is the same author. Because somebody finished off Joshua after he died. And now Judges is the same author telling actually what happened. Uh, verse uh, 8. Children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and taken it, smitten it with the edge of the sword, set the city on fire. And afterwards the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountain in the south and uh, in the valley. And Judah went against the Canaanites that dwelt in Hebron and so forth. And the tribe of Judah gets right after it. And everywhere they go, it works. Verse 17, Judah went with Simeon and his brother. They slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zepheth and utterly destroyed it. The name of the city was called Harma. Judah also took Gaza, the coaster of Ascalon, the coaster of Ekron, or the coaster of... They were all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea, the tribe of Judah. And they're doing exactly what was promised them. You go fight, you'll win. I don't care where you go. They're going over to Philistine cities. One, two, three of them. Right in a row, they take them because they did what Joshua said. If you go, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. All right? Now, take a look at this. Chapter 1, verse 21. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. Verse 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshehan. Verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. Verse 30, neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Acho. And in verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of the Canaanite. And so one tribe after another, after another, after another said, ah, we're done. Leave them there. Leave them there. They didn't do what was promised to them if they did it. All right? In Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Also, all that generation were gathered to their fathers, as Joshua and his group. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done. 
for Israel. So they raised another generation, the next generation, didn't hear about God, didn't care about God, didn't know about God. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who has brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods or the gods of the people that were around about them, bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered him into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. He sold them to the hands of their enemies round about so they'd no longer stand before their enemies. So they had a free ride. You go fight, as long as you keep fighting, you'll win. These guys, ah, they don't care. We're not going to do it. A whole bunch of the tribes didn't bother. And what do we read? The next generation, they're worshiping Baal and Astaroth. And so the people who were supposed to be conquered were left behind, and now God said to those people, Philistines and Canaanites and Hittites and whatever, you go ahead. You can be a thorn in my people's side. And they were. The whole book of Judges is the record of those people that were supposed to be driven out and weren't driven out, coming in, starving the people, or hiding in caves, trying to find food, uh, a constant barrage of people that came in. And God, in his goodness, was sending a judge there's Anathiel, and he wins, and there's Deborah and Barak, and they win a battle, and there's Samson, and, and there's Gideon, and they keep coming in and winning little battles, but it never goes away. It stays a thorn in their side the whole time. Success or failure? Or the human condition? Uh, probably the human condition, the human condition. Joshua's most famous statement is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, proving to a point that I'm going to raise my family in such a way so that they serve the Lord. And that is an extremely valuable bit of information that he gave as he wanted to finish right. He said, be careful who you marry. He said, and then raise your children to believe. And when they didn't, the next generation had no idea. They didn't know about the walls of Jericho or the crossing of Jordan or the crossing of the Red Sea. They didn't know nothing because they didn't read the Bible. <laughs> they were supposed to read the Bible every day. See, so these things that he's talking about, you read your Bible every day, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. Not to making life the way it ought to be. Old Joshua's a fantastic man. You understand, he's born a slave. He's working in Egypt in the brickyards where it said, the Bible says they served in bitter bondage. He's in there making bricks for Pharaoh, for the treasure cities of Pharaoh. Moses comes along to let my people go, and off he goes. For 40 years, he wanders with complainers in the desert who complained for 40 years till they all died. And then he took those people across and became one of the great soldiers of all time, leading him 
leading his troops. His tomb is still there, been found, kind of an interesting tomb, a five by five box carved into rock with a second place behind him where they think he was buried and walled on the outside with these little niches all in the wall. And these niches are still there cut into the wall and you can see where somebody's been burning candles there. There's 200 niches there on this wall. And they have used, they have lit the thing and you can stand back for quite a long ways and you see these 200 candles lighting up Joshua's grave. And uh, it's still there. You can still see it. One of the guys I was reading about said, he says, too bad people don't come and see this. It's off the beaten track. Everybody goes to Jerusalem and so forth. They don't usually go to see Joshua's tomb. But it's still there. And they lit it up because he was a light, wasn't he? He's a light to the next generation and the one after. He's a light to you and I today. He says, you decide who you're going to serve. Decide, choose, make a decision who you're going to serve. And you know this, that if you go against God, there's a threat. There's a threat there. You better make sure you don't do that. They did anyway. It didn't take very long. And they did. So the human condition that we struggle against. Now we have tremendous advantages over them. We got this whole book. We got as much of it as we want, as we can get as many as we want. I don't know how many you got. I got them all over the place. All right, good for you. You got them. And Joshua's warning was you better follow that book. Don't go to left or right. All right, don't be afraid. God will be with you if you stay with him. So we can end it up that way, good. Joshua's Joshua's right. You stick with God, God will stick with you. And they buried him, and he became a light. His tomb itself was a shining light. All people are on. I got to stop. I could keep going, but I got to stop. Thank you.